You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith of Locked On Seahawks. Glad to have you on board for our crossover Thursday episode. Later in the show, I'll be joined by Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins to break down this weekend's week four matchup between Seattle and Miami in South Florida. Help support your local businesses, whether they're your corner stores, coffee spots, or favorite shops. Local businesses have always been on your team, supporting you and your community. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support, so let's be there for them. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community. Because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be, official partner of the NFL. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. This shouldn't come as a surprise at this point, but heading towards Sunday's game against the Dolphins, the Seahawks are pretty darn banged up. They've already lost a few players to injured reserve, but on Wednesday, 25 players were listed on the injury report. Only 28 players were not on the injury report. Now, there were a handful of these guys that were getting veteran rest days, so not all of them were dealing with an injury But looking at the list on Thursday, still 20 players, 17 of them listed with an injury. And there are certainly some ones that matter going into this game. Most notably in the secondary, Jamal Adams still dealing with a groin issue. He was injured in the fourth quarter on a play where he was trying to blitz Dak Prescott. He stumbled a little bit, and as soon as he got out of his stumble, you could see him with his left hand reaching down for his groin area. Played a few more snaps and then was taken out of the game, was replaced by Ryan Neal. So now his status is definitely in doubt for this game. I would be surprised if he ends up playing. There's a reason they promoted Ryan Neal back from the practice squad permanently to the active roster. There's a good chance Jamal Adams is not dressing for this game. And he's not the only secondary player that status is up in the air. Quentin Dunbar, who missed last week's game against the Cowboys with a knee injury, Pete Carroll said on Wednesday... The team is going to be cautious with him this week. They're going to let him rest with hopes that he's able to play come Sunday, but he has not participated in either practice this week. And if he's not able to do anything on Friday, seems very unlikely that he's going to play. He'll miss a second straight week. So tomorrow is going to be a big day for him. And what makes that an even bigger problem? Shaquille Griffin has been limited each of the last two days with a shoulder injury. I would think he is going to be playing on Sunday, but has been limited the last couple of days. That leaves them really with Trey Flowers as the only corner that has been healthy because Nico Thorpe has still missed the last two practices dealing with some issues. He was actually limited on Wednesday, and then on Thursday's practice, he was out with a hip issue. And so right now, the Seahawks are very banged up on the back half of their defense. A lot of major question marks there. And that's not the only position group that's in trouble, potentially. Chris Carson has been limited both Wednesday and Thursday coming off that nasty looking knee injury luckily no ligament damage he's got a chance to play on Sunday if the Seahawks think they're okay with that Carlos Hyde also was wearing a red practice jersey today because he's dealing with a shoulder injury and they're trying to protect him basically that was bubble wrap 
We got to make sure that Carlos Hyde is good in case Chris Carson cannot play. So you've got some concerns in the backfield and then up front along the offensive line. Damian Lewis has been limited each of the last two days, but it looks promising that he's going to be able to play on Sundays. He's nursing a minor ankle sprain that cost him most of last Sunday's game. Mike Upati fought through the rest of the game with a knee issue. He's been limited the first two days of practice, but probably a good chance he'll be available. If not, Jordan Simmons has shown he can fill in for either one of those guys. And of course, Dwayne Brown, he's been on and off the practice field dating back to training camp dealing with his knee issues. And so he's probably going to be able to play on Sunday. He's not a guy that needs a ton of practice reps, but nonetheless, there are a ton of injuries and those are the most pressing positional groups, the corners and safeties, as well as the running backs and the offensive linemen. Tomorrow is going to be very telling to see where their injury situation is at. Just 72 hours away from that road trip in Miami, they're going to be looking to see if they can get some of these guys back on the field. You don't want to go into Sunday with 15, 16 players listed on your final injury report. I would think a lot of these guys won't be on there come tomorrow. That being said, as many injuries as they've got right now, wouldn't be surprising if you see at least 8, 9, 10 guys that are on there with some of them being doubtful, a few maybe ruled out immediately. Adams and Jordan Brooks, the rookie, probably being the two most likely to be ruled out quickly with groin and knee injuries respectively. And then of course, you got some players that will be in the questionable category as well that they're going to have to go up to game time. We've got this many injuries and it's it stinks that this early in the season, this is where we're at. But unfortunately, there are a lot of teams that are dealing with these injury issues during this COVID-19 season where you didn't have a normal off season, no OTAs or mini camps and not a normal strength and conditioning program as well. They tried to streamline that into training camp. So injuries were expected to be a little bit more, but it's been maybe more than what people thought it was going to be at this point. And the Seahawks are certainly not exempt from that. They're hoping to be fairly healthy, but there are some injuries here they may want to be cautious with to ensure they don't get these players injured worse and that they can come back fully healthy and maybe in week five against the Minnesota Vikings. When I come back in the second quarter, I'm going to be joined by Locked On Dolphins host Kyle Krabs. We're going to be breaking down Sunday's matchup in Miami, the Seahawks against an upstart Dolphins team. You won't want to miss it. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This season, get football on your time with NFL Game Pass. You can catch every snap from every game with full game replays and see all the plays in just 45 minutes with condensed games. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. And NFL Game Pass is the only place you can replay every game all season long. You'll also learn from the league's best players with over 40 NFL Game Pass film session episodes. Go inside the game from a player's perspective as they break down the game's concepts and techniques. Learn from the best like Deshaun Watson, Stephon Gilmore, Devontae Adams, and many more. NFL Game Pass also provides access to the entire NFL Films archive. Go to NFL.com slash Game Pass to start your free trial today. NFL Game Pass, where football never stops. 
Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique, remarkably easy to navigate, and all the parts are available for your vehicle. Choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked in in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Welcome to another Crossover Thursday here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Corbin Smith of Locked On Seahawks. Happy to team up this week with Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins. We've got an exciting matchup coming up in South Florida on Sunday. This is a game, Kyle, I'm sure you remember this from our crossover during the offseason. I had this game circled as one of Seattle's tougher road games, not just because it's a very long road trip, but I really like the direction this Miami franchise is heading under coach Brian Flores, even with a one and two start, very competitive. And I just feel like this is an upstart team. This is not a road game with the travel and stuff that I think that I'm overly excited about if you're watching the Seahawks standpoint. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because as they had the whole debate on whether or not there would be fans in the stands at games and all that kind of stuff, ultimately Miami especially against a team like Seattle has, is going to naturally have a home field advantage because it's a West coast team that comes East. And I know Seattle plays very well on the East coast, mm-hmm. but that South Florida humidity still hits a little different. And the way the stadium is designed, they, they put the, the canopy on top of the stadium so that the last thing that goes in the shade right around the start of the fourth quarter is the visiting team's bench. So interesting kind of, home field advantage that even if there weren't going to be fans in the stands, Miami was at least going to have a little bit of shade to work with, which is more than Seattle could say for a majority of the game on Sunday. Yeah. I'm going to touch on some of that stuff here in a little bit, because I do think this is a game where some of those elements could really factor into play, especially with the weather, but let's talk some X's and O's and stuff like that here first. And I, you know, I think a lot of my listeners thought I was joking about this yesterday, but I wasn't. It really does seem like Ryan Fitzpatrick just seems to get better the longer his beard gets and with each additional team he plays for. And Pete Carroll was saying it yesterday. This is the best that he's ever seen Fitzpatrick play. Watching the film from last week, I would agree. What is it about Fitz magic that has allowed him to continue to win over locker rooms and, and earn these opportunities to start for NFL teams? And I guess my to close out the question here in particular, serve as a galvanizing leader for this young squad. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head as far as, you know, his energy and his, his level of play. The, the last 10 games of the 2019 season on the downtrodden Dolphins roster, he played, statistically speaking, like the best quarterback in the AFC East. And obviously this year, Josh Allen is playing lights out. But Fitz, the past seven quarters that he's played, has arguably played at a higher level than what he did to close the season last year. It's pretty incredible. And one of the things that he does have in his favor this year is he's really comfortable in the offense because 
the offensive coordinator they brought in this offseason, Shane Gailey, Ryan Fitzpatrick has run this offense for five previous seasons as a starting quarterback in the NFL between the Jets and the Bills. So he knows this offense like the back of his hand. And one other thing that he's doing really well, Corbin, is he's getting the ball out of his hand really fast. Mm -hmm. He is the second fastest trigger in the NFL from snap to release of the ball, 2.37 seconds. I mean, it's, it's blazing fast how quick the ball gets out. Now that's kind of a catch-22 because the Dolphins' skill players, are they able to create plays after the catch? That's been a little hit or miss. Uh, but against a, a poor Seattle defense, I think you're going to see a lot of points, and Ryan, Cat- uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick will be a catalyst for a lot of that. Yeah, at 38 years old, he continues to improve, and I've always thought he was an underrated quarterback. I think he's one of those guys when his career is done, you're going to look back and realize, you know what, he, he was a lot better than people gave him credit for, and just the fact that he's been able to start for so many teams and, and the locker room presence, again, every team he's on, his teammates just love him and he, these teammates rally around him. And so Bobby Wagner was talking about it yesterday. They're worried about the energy that he brings when he picks up a first down, if he scrambles for a second or he bulldoze into the end zone because he's just relentless and he's worried about that energy being something that's an impact in this game. But going to the backfield, I'd be remiss not to mention this because our Pacific Northwest fans, Miles Gaskin, one of the most popular players that's ever been at Washington. They love him out here. And he is now the starting running back for the Dolphins, not Matt Breida, not Jordan Howard, who were brought in the offseason. Gaskin is the guy. Flores called him a perfect Dolphin yesterday when we were speaking with him. What have you seen from the former Washington star, and how has he bolstered this offense since he became the starter? Yeah, I think one thing that Miles brings to the offense that neither of the other two guys that you mentioned between Jordan Howard and Matt Breida do is versatility for his play packages. So Jordan Howard, he's very much between the tackles, thumper, short yardage. Gaskin uh, runs successfully between the tackles, but he's not raw power. Matt Breida is all speed. He ran a lot of outside zone at San Francisco. Miami really doesn't have the personnel to run a lot of successful outside zone. Their offensive line across the board looks a lot like Seattle's. It's a lot of big, mean, nasty dudes up front. Uh, So Gaskin more natural as a pass catcher than Matt Burita. He just is the guy who's able, the Dolphins' entire playbook and run packages and pass packages are on the table when Gaskin's in the game versus the other two guys. And with an offensive line that's still learning how to sustain blocks, how to stay sticky, the guy who's not going to tip their hand offensively, I think is a really big nod to Gaskin, his versatility, the fact that he's a jack of all trades, but maybe a master of none. He's not a great athlete, but damn it, if he doesn't get the job done because he's really smart, he's really disciplined, he's very uh, studious with his film studies, which I know is another thing Brian Flores mentioned to you guys on yesterday's call. And, And that's been one of the really surprising developments for the Dolphins skill players this season so far. Well, he was known for that with the Huskies too, the work ethic that he put in away from the field and being versatile, a guy that you can have out there all three downs. And so I'm not surprised to see him rising to the cream of the crop there with Howard, as you mentioned, a guy I loved coming out of Indiana, but he's a pretty one-dimensional runner. And Brita, you could say the same thing with his style as well. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball. It's well-documented the Seahawks really struggle rushing the passer. The Dolphins haven't been doing much better in terms of generating a pass rush this year. So my questions first, first and foremost, have the signings of Shaq Lawson and Emmanuel Agba simply not panned out so far? Is it too early to make a judgment there? And has anyone else emerged 
as a viable threat to try to turn up the heat on opposing quarterbacks? Yeah, it, it's tough to say. I, I will say it helps playing Jacksonville's offensive line, but the, the <laughs> defense had its best performance of the season against Jacksonville. Uh, but even uh, Jacksonville has two offensive tackle prospects that from a traits perspective in Cam Robinson and Jawan Taylor as bookend tackles. These are both explosive, heavy-handed, long-armed guys. Lawson and Agba both played their best games of the season against those two players. But I think the bigger blockade for the Dolphins in their pass rush is they're not necessarily, because they are a Patriots-style team, they're not a team that has a ton of guys that are necessarily designed in pass rush to dominate in one-on-one scenarios. They're looking to create pressure, simulated pressure or actual pressure reps where they're loading gaps and they're overloading one side of the protection and then they're going to drop some guys and bring somebody else off the other edge when you slide away from it. And there really hasn't been a lot of chemistry because there's so many new pieces on this defensive line. You can kind of tell they're still learning like how to run tackle and stunt game and get a feel for where the other guy's going to be at. You got bodies crashing into each other on the same team instead of taking advantage of rubbing off another guy's hip and, and getting into an open gap. The name that does stand out is somebody who's come alive a little bit, Andrew Van Ginkle, who was a day three selection for the Dolphins in the 2019 draft. He was a JUCO transfer to Wisconsin, and he's got pretty athletic, pretty explosive skill set, and he put on some weight this offseason, and it's really showing up in his ability to kind of stay on the rush track when he rushes off the outside edge. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a lot of outside linebacker, Sam Lyon linebacker and under front type reps for the Dolphins and try and claim some some victories off the edge. And looking at the secondary, obviously the pass rush is something that's a work in progress in Miami. The secondary's got talent when it's healthy, but I do see Byron Jones was limited today. He was out yesterday, so he's still trying to work his way back from an injury. Xavion Howard upgraded to a full participant. That's good news going into this game. Both of these secondaries have been ravaged by injuries during the first three weeks of the season. But I guess my big question here, if Byron Jones doesn't play, it looks like right now that's very much up in the air. How in the heck do the Dolphins compensate if one or both those players somehow would not be able to play when you're going against Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett, and DK Metcalf? It's the million-dollar question for Miami. Uh, Byron Jones, I would not expect him to play. He was, as you mentioned, a non-participant through every day until Thursday. Uh, the, the injury that he suffered, the groin injury, came on the opening possession against Buffalo, and it was an ugly-looking injury for the way that he reacted. It was non-contact. He's going stride for stride. He got bumped a little bit, and it looked like a sniper got him in the stadium where he went down in a heap, and he grabbed at that leg right away. So wasn't surprised to not see him dress for week three, but the fact that he's been this slow to come along and become even a limited participant in practice, I think does not bode well. So how does Miami handle that? I think you'll see Xavier Howard probably draw DK Metcalf quite a bit in coverage and the Dolphins surprise third first round pick Noah Igbenogany, a corner uh, from Auburn. He's been a very prominent presence in the secondary. I think they'll probably look to bracket Tyler Lockett inside, get some extra attention around him, but I would expect Igbenogany who was the one who was charged with trying to cover Stefan Diggs in the week two matchup uh, will be the one who gets the call to try and shadow if the Dolphins want to play a lot of man, which I don't think you'll see as much man as you saw in the first two games of the season, because as you said, the pass rush has been so poor. You're green on the back end in the defense. 
and you're not getting pass rush, trying to play cover one, man, it, it was a really toxic mix for Miami in week two against Buffalo. So I think you'll see some more zone smeared in there as well. And you see what the Seahawks did to the Patriots running a lot of man defense a couple weeks ago and what Russell Wilson was able to do to their secondary as well. And so it's kind of been a, you know, pick your poison type ordeal. And of course, Greg Olson's in there as well. So bracket coverage, not not necessarily something that teams want to do, but you might have to try to pick your poison there with the receivers they've got. I mentioned that I was going to go back to this. You talked about the fact that the way the stadium is set up, the shade doesn't hit the visiting sideline until the fourth quarter. We might not even have to worry about shade, though, on Sunday. It looks like with the forecast, it's going to be a wet game. If there's one kryptonite for Russell Wilson, very ironic being a quarterback in Seattle, it has been rain. Do you envision that being a major advantage for the Dolphins here if the forecast holds true? Obviously, Seattle's got some pretty good running backs, so maybe they can weather that kind of uh, forecast, but it would certainly impact their ability with the downfield passing game. For sure. And, that, and that's been the Dolphins MO this season. They've been a bend, but don't break defense. I believe they're 24th or 26th in yards allowed so far this season, but they're 10th in scoring defense. They've only given up, uh, they're giving up 21 points per game. And uh, they've done a really nice job in the red zone and buckling down. They've made some key turnovers on, uh, in, on the heels of big plays So if we take the air out of the ball, uh, I think it impacts both teams uniquely for Seattle. The explosive play, which has been so much of what their identity has been early on, is definitely greatly impacted. And I do think Miami, uh, they had some run game issues in week one against the Patriots, but that was more so a catalyst. As you guys saw uh, the following week or two weeks later, that's that's because Cam Newton's presence and how many – zone read and read option and QB power concepts they had at their disposal. Miami kind of got caught with their guard down. I don't know how you should. You should have known that there was going to be some QB run game components there. But they've done well in the last two games to, to kind of clamp down on run defense. And I think that would be a strength on strength matchup as far as the trenches. Big, powerful bodies versus big, powerful bodies on the other side of the line of scrimmage. And I think Miami could help keep the Seahawks out of the end zone but I do think Seattle will still be able to move the ball. When we come back for the next quarter, we're going to switch gears here. Kyle's going to be grilling me about the Seahawks going into this matchup. We're going to get plenty of questions about this struggling defense as the Seahawks prepare to go to South Florida for their longest road trip of the season. We'll be right back here on Crossover Thursday. Continuing this Crossover Thursday series on the Locked On Network, I am Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins. Joined by Corbin Smith of Locked On Seahawks. And Corbin, I I guess my first question for you is this. When I look at the schedule for Miami and I see Seattle is coming all the way across as far of a trip as you can make in this league unless you go to London. I got a little excited. I said, okay, here we go. Miami's going to host Seattle, Pacific Northwest, steamy hot South Florida. Certainly there's got to be a travel advantage here. And then I see the splits. And I see the statistics of how well Seattle plays on the East Coast when they come East. So my first question for you is, what is it about the way that this team is constructed? Is it coaching? Is it the leadership of Russell Wilson? How has this team been able to kind of buck the trend of West Coast teams coming East and performing at such a high level? Bobby Wagner said the other day that it's all about the mindset and clearly whatever they're doing is work and they're not going to spill all the beans to us about 
what has made them successful. But they were undefeated last year on their East Coast games. This year, they won their first one in Atlanta. And so they have consistently been really good in those games where typically West Coast teams do not play well with those time changes. So I do think it's part Pete Carroll and it's part the leadership that they've got with players like Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner. I think not mentioning K.J. Wright would be a mistake, too. He's one of their veteran leaders, has been for a long time. So I think they've got stable leadership in the player front. Pete Carroll and his staff know how to get players prepared and fired up to play in these games. And so I don't think there's any, like, major secret to it. I think that this, the, the guys that are in charge, they have found a formula that has consistently worked, and they've kept with it, and it's all about that mindset. And so they're not going to be phased making this trip. It's still a very long road trip, but they've done this before and I don't think they're going to be worried about that being a factor so Corbin one of the other things for the Dolphins in the build-up to this game this weekend we've been keeping an eye on the injury report for Byron Jones's status and we learned he practiced on Thursday which is the first practice he's taken since he injured his groin in week two on the other side of that coin how many extra pages did Seattle have to print for their injury report this week. And I wanted to ask you what the expectation is for some of the more prominent names on this very long list. Of course, a lot of guys that are just dinged up and are probably going to play, but we saw Chris Carson at the end of the Dallas game go down with a tweaked knee, and, and Jamal Adams is another defensive back in this matchup that has a groin issue that he's experiencing. So some of the more prominent names for Seattle, should Miami be expecting to see these guys dress or could they get a chance to catch a Seattle team that's a little banged up and missing some big pieces? There will be some big pieces that are wearing street clothes on the sideline in this game. And I think Jamal Adams is going to be one of them. I will be stunned if he plays in this football game. He might be pushing Pete Carroll by the end of this week saying, I can go, I can go. But I have a feeling Carroll and the medical staff are going to be like, look, we got to keep you ready to go for the rest of the season. We can't afford for you to re-injure this or injure it worse. So I will be really surprised if Adams uh, plays in this football game. As for Chris Carson, I think there's a really good chance that Chris Carson dresses for this game, which is stunning when you consider that dirty play that he was injured on. Mm -hmm. I thought for sure he had ligament damage. And as a former running back, I just cringed in the press box seeing that. But uh, it looks like he's going to have a really good chance. Guard Damian Lewis, they're – really good rookie out of LSU. He just has a minor ankle sprain and he practiced some yesterday. So those two guys have a chance. What I would worry about if I'm the Seahawks, you've got Adams and Quentin Dunbar is dealing with a knee issue, did not play last week and he did not participate in practice yesterday. And so they're going to be really cautious with him the rest of this week with hopes that he's able to play. But that would mean Trey Flowers is going to be out there if you don't have Dunbar. And he really, really struggled last week against the Dallas Cowboys. And so that's the biggest concern is the injuries that they've got in the back half of their defense, which has already been struggling mightily. Corbin, you know, I'm a draft guy at heart. So I wanted to ask you about Jordan Brooks, another guy who I believe is banged up. And there's an expectation there that he's going to be the long-term heir to K.J. Wright. Brooks was one of the surprise selections in the first round in this past year's draft. What has the impressions to this point been for Jordan Brooks? And has he kind of looked as though he's going to be able to live up to the expectations for what Seattle's vision is for him as a player? 
If you watched him in training camp, you can see what excites the Seahawks about this kid. He's extremely athletic. He's a sound tackler, does a good job with his run fits. I think he's better in coverage than advertised. He has a, he had a pass deflected last week on the first drive. Unfortunately, as you mentioned, he's another player. I'll be really surprised if he suits up in Miami, but they've got a lot of depth at that linebacker position. So they can withstand him being out for a week or two. But I think with Bruce Irvin being done for the season now, once he gets back, the expectation is he is going to be the guy at weak side linebacker for the rest of the season. They moved KJ Wright over to strong side and that's how excited they are about this kid and his ability to fly all over the field. Pete Carroll knew they needed to add speed to this defense. Bobby Wagner still runs really well, but KJ Wright, you can tell at this stage of his career, that is, that was never necessarily a strong point for him anyway. He's lost a step or two, still a very, very good football player, but when you get him in coverage against a receiver, bad things are going to happen. They wanted somebody out there that was going to give him more speed. Brooks is certainly going to do that. I can honestly say, though, I haven't seen enough snaps of him yet in actual game action to be able to assess where he's at in his development. He only played 14 snaps last week. You've seen some signs that he's going to be a good player, just haven't seen enough aside from training camp. I guess it's time to address the elephant in the room, and that's the Let, the Ru- Let Russ Cook campaign. Uh, one of the biggest travesties of the past eight years is that this man has never received an MVP vote, but it seems like he's well on his way to doing away with that travesty this year with the way he has come out and lit opposing defenses on fire. What, how, how significant of a shift from the Seahawks' perspective has it been to actually – let Russ cook versus some of their, I know they've, they've been criticized in the past for being ultra committed to continuing to establish the run. How different is the team philosophy this year? And more importantly, from a Miami fans perspective, how do you slow them down? Well, that last part at this juncture, I don't know, aside from hoping you get a downpour, I don't know how you slow this guy down. I mean, he, he'll beat zone coverage. He beats man coverage. You try to pressure him, he's going to get outside the pocket, and then he's going to burn you, or he's going to step up in the pocket. Or you hit him, and he's still going to throw a 50-yard rainbow right into DK Metcalf's hands. I mean, he has just been unbelievable. The stat that jumped out to me, I actually wrote an article up about this yesterday. He's on pace for 75 passing touchdowns through three games. He is not going to maintain that pace, but – of his throws right now have been touchdowns. And that number should be higher because DK Metcalf had a touchdown punched out of his hands at the goal line last weekend. He should have had six passing touchdowns against the Cowboys. And so he has just been unbelievable. I don't know how you defend him in good weather. You're in trouble with the weapons he's got. And the other thing they've really improved that offensive line. And that was something I thought about this offseason, the moves they made. Damian Lewis, I thought, was really underrated as a run blocker or as a pass protector at LSU. He was known for mauling people, but a really solid pass protector there that played really good competition in the SEC. And Ethan Posick now is their starting center where he should have been all along. He doesn't have Justin Britt in front of him anymore. He is a really sound pass protector there. And Brandon Shell has been a huge upgrade over Jermaine Effetti in pass protection. You're not getting the same penalty issues. He's been really sound over there. Has he given up some pressure? Absolutely. But he's been a big upgrade. And right now they've got the sixth best pass, uh, pass block win rate on ESPN, which I had to do a double take. Actually, I had to do a triple take too. Like, the Seahawks are sixth? What? What am I looking at? And so when Russell Wilson's getting that kind of protection with the weapons that he's got on the outside, 
I, I just would say good luck to the other team. I don't know what you do. That is going to do it for us here on this Locked On crossover series. Locked On Dolphins, Locked On Seahawks, Kyle Krabs, Corbin Smith. We hope you guys enjoyed this check-in. We hope you enjoyed the game this weekend. And thanks, as always, for listening to the Locked On Network.